Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Thank you all for staying. You may be seated. In today's extra credit, we'll be covering how to run online encounters without a battle map of any kind. In our regular episode, we covered how to play online with a battle map, but playing without one is actually quite different and can be done both online and in real life, but it's more prevalent online. It's obviously preferable online because it's a little bit more difficult to manage a battle map without having a physical map to interact with. Occasionally, I do use it when I am doing in-person sessions if I determine that the battle does not require a battle map or I think that something can be added by not using one to fit the theme or the setting of whatever or whatever they're fighting. Interesting, because I always do everything I can to use a battle map. I think when we go through the pros and cons, I'll have a couple examples as to when I do that. All right, cool. Well, before we get into everything, uh, I wanted to say one thing is that I don't think we covered in the regular episode. We recorded it a long time ago. I don't. I guess we're just not going to talk about how it's been like two years or something or three years since we recorded the first one. All of a sudden, a random <laughs> extra credit is coming out for it. But we, we talked about we used uh, Skype, and uh, I don't know if we ever mentioned Discord, but I wanted to mention there's another tool out there called Discord that I've switched to that I use. I'm not sponsored by it or anything or have any ties to it. I just wanted to give you guys let you know, put that in your lexicon. Put that in your tools to use. Discord seemed to be really helpful for me because you can sort of create chat channels to help manage your game a lot. Like we have a chat channel in one of the games we play, Christian, where there's that loot channel, which is really helpful for keeping track of loot. But I think Skype has been adapting and trying to implement some of the same features. I don't know. I haven't been in Skype for a long time. As long as Skype has the archaic design of me hitting the X button doesn't close it, I will not continue using it. Oh, wait, Discord does the same thing. I think Discord, when I first pressed X, gave me a prompt. Do you want this to close or minimize? Oh, there we go. Already better. (laughs) So, Mapless Combat. This seems kind of impossible. You're saying the entire encounter is only happening with words and dice? We have to keep everything straight in our heads? Yeah, everyone still has character sheets. You're still using pen and paper to keep track of all your stats and your personal information, turn order, health, things like that. But yes, essentially, we are not using a map of any kind to keep track of positioning or who is still in combat. Well, interesting. Let's see how this works. So I have some experience doing mapless combat, matless combat is probably the best way to say that, because I run a podcast online, which I want all my encounters to take place in the in the imagination sphere, because I want the listeners to be able to participate as much as the players are. I've seen some podcasts where people use a mat once or twice. I've done it and regretted it because you're just stealing that away from the listeners, but the this isn't a treatise on how you should do podcasts. This is a treatise on I have some experience actually doing it, so I've learned some lessons, some do's and don'ts. I am a player in Caleb's campaign that uses mapless combat, so I have a lot of experience being a player in an environment such as this. And I occasionally run things online that I will use mapless combat. Maybe if people can't meet, we don't want to draw all drive and meet. A session I would hold in person will instead hold online. I don't feel like building that map online, so we'll just do it in the imagination sphere. That's actually really great because I only have experience GMing. You have experience being a player. That's going to really help, I think, bring both perspectives into it. So let's get started. For mapless combat, generally you have to let people know 
the consequences their action will have and be prepared to have people changing their minds often because they're only getting full information after you tell them what happened. They're not getting the full, most of the information by looking at the map and seeing there's a four goblins bird there behind cover. Here's a, here's a door. Here's a bridge. I understand this. This is all coming from you. So this happens most with things like attack of opportunities, cover, environmental obstructions. So let's go through an example. Christian and I are going to do a little play acting because we're the best actors you've ever met. <laughs> just because just today I learned that Christian thought modern major generals from the Mass Effect series. A, a play I've never heard of from 1970-something. Yeah, what's that yeah, weird actually. play no one's ever heard of? What's it called? <laughs> I don't know. The, the Pen Chance. Pirates of-, of Penzance. Sure. Okay. I believe you. Caleb, I'm going to run and charge the magic user in the back. You can't do that. There are two people in the way. There's a quick little thing. The person wants to do something. There's there's uh, obstruction in the way. They didn't know that. When you talked about the people placement, it's way too detailed to be go. All right, and there's four people in between you and this person. There's two people in between you and this person. There's a chandelier up there. It's probably going to block your way if you wanted to jump. Some things are going to come up as the gameplay happens. So let's do another example with attacks of opportunity. I'm going to move over to the guy with the flail, and I'm, I'm going to attack him. Okay, that'll provoke an attack of opportunity from the giant frog. Oh, there's the frog's in range. Okay, so instead, can I full attack the frog? Sure. You five-foot step to him, and go ahead and roll your attacks. You see, in that example, you didn't need to do the extra step of saying, well, you can't full attack the frog. He's five feet away. He can hit you for that attack of opportunity because he has reach. You'll have to five-foot step. No, you just tell your player he's five-foot steps because you know that is facilitating what he wants to do and doesn't affect his declared action at all of full attacking. And the rare chance that he wants to change, it'll say, oh, I don't want a five-foot step. I'll do this instead. But in my experience, the vast majority of the time, it won't matter. You are the crafter of the entire scenario. Your words are what are informing them of the battle mat. So you've got to be able to facilitate their actions. And players sort of need to, I think a lot of times you're going to be asking, you know, can I charge the magic user in the black? Can I attack this guy? And you say, yeah, he's in range. Or no, he's he's actually up 20 feet above you. Which means as a GM, you got to have your stuff straight. You got to be consistent. As a GM, I've sometimes written on a pen and paper a general idea of what the board looks like so I can continue to keep track of it and best describe it to the players. So on the player side of things, you have to make sure that you're paying full attention when it's not your turn. Since there's no map to turn back to to gauge the current state of combat, you need to listen to other players in the GM. You should be doing this all the time, (laughs) regardless, but it applies much stronger here. I agree, Christian, very much so, that people need to pay attention all the time, but they just won't. That's just the matter of fact. I myself have the attention span of a cockroach, so I myself am like, huh, oh, sorry, hey, what did you do, buddy Caleb? You were right on the table. I could see you in person. You didn't even have your phone out. Yeah, I was zoning out. What? <laughs> you got to pay attention. Otherwise, it's going to be worse for everybody because now the gym needs to explain everything again. Ugh. And we've we've described this before in other episodes. Just, just pay attention when it's not your turn. Sometimes things come up, but you know your players. You know they're the kind of person that if you play online, they're going to be playing, you know, Star Wars Battlefront on their other monitor. Gross. It's also good going into it to tell your players that, hey, this is going to be a primarily matless game. And thus they can make choices in their character that are conductive to that style of play. For instance, for Trailblazer Seasons 2, I was an archer. I used a bow. As soon as I could, I took the point blank master feat, which states that I don't 
take attacks of opportunity whenever I fire my weapon, just so I don't have to ask that question every mm. time I go to fire. Well, Christian, I didn't realize you did that, but thank you. I appreciate it. I think, I also got to tell you, Caleb, I think I cheated when I took that. Oh? I think you're, you're allowed to ignore prerequisites for ranger feats. And I was apparently supposed to have the weapon focus prerequisite. But I think my cheating made the podcast better, so it's okay. Eh, if that's what you want to tell yourself. <laughs> well, it's too late now, Caleb. You can't stop. <laughs> We're going back re-recording the whole season. <laughs> so my next tip is to make enemies distinct. No one's going to remember where mercenary number five is. Even if everyone's using the same monster stat block, do something to differentiate them. They are wearing distinct colors, using distinct weapons, etc. So, for example, one encounter I did, I said, there's a chainsaw guy number one, chainsaw guy number two, there's a robot dude, a magic user, and a girl with a rocket launcher. Then when they were like, where's the girl with the rocket launcher? I want to hurt her. Where's the chainsaw guy? Okay, he's on the right. Makes it a lot easier. This is even a good rule of thumb when you are using a map, although it's much easier because of the position. You can just refer to someone's position. I'm attacking this guy over here, but I think this is just good practice just to make combat feel more distinct. Slight maybe spoiler for Trailblazer Season 2. Caleb did this at another time. There were enemies that were wearing different masks, and the masks all displayed a different emotion. And I only remember those creatures by the masks they were wearing. Caleb has told me since that they were, like, very distinct creatures otherwise, but I literally only knew them as happy mask or sad mask. <laughs> yes, one had four arms. I thought that I was didn't remember that. Nope. <laughs> Just the fact they were angry. I think it's how most people remember me. <laughs> it wasn't that he's a pastor or that he is a fantastic creator of content on the internet, which no one ever criticizes and is perfect and always gets five stars. It's that he's the angry little man over there. The, the angry <laughs> Italian guy from Jersey. <laughs> I like to be lenient with my players and their positioning when I'm doing matless combat. You want the players participating in the creation of the scene with the things they want to do, and they're going to have trouble doing that if they feel restricted by the rules and specifics that they themselves can't see. Obviously, don't let them cheat, but as Caleb said, you want them to you want to facilitate as the GM them creating with you. I'm not sure what you mean by this. You mean like don't make overly complicated sort of environmental rules yeah and if they want to if they say like i want to shoot this person and you're thinking in your head well there's a little bit of cover there like no reason to put the rules in front of that oh i get you now so yeah sometimes i have made changes because it was just going to be too complicated like you said i want to hit the guy up there and i'm like well he's really behind the railing of the balcony but you know yeah you can hit him i just like because you've already repositioned yourself twice you've already asked to do two other things that you couldn't do okay i'm not trying to crush your soul here yeah, you don't you don't want combat to become a chore for mm -hmm. the players to remember everything if you have an environmental factor in matless combat make it painfully obvious and very obtrusive. Uh, what I mean by this is to give an example. One time I had a magic user that was on top of a cliff that was maybe 30 feet up. They summoned earth elementals to engage players at the bottom of the cliff. So there was two very distinct areas of the fight. You were either down at the bottom of the cliff, engaged with the earth elementals, or you had found a way to get to the top of the cliff, whether you flew up there or you climbed 
and you are now engaged with the magic user. There was an environmental factor, but there was no question of where a player was at the time. I had like in a combat, there was like a huge area of difficult terrain, and then there was two high points, and then a point further away. I on purpose, I could have made that place much more complicated. It was just, I thought it was very simple. In front of you is difficult terrain, left and right are high points, straight ahead at the end is your objective. It's obvious. It's not like, okay, the difficult terrain is in 10-foot corridors in front of you, so you can't avoid it if you kind of squirrel yourself around this way. Like, do you even understand what that means, exactly where you'd have to go? But it makes a lot of sense if I just say, if you go in this direction, it's all difficult terrain. Okay, everyone's got that. Matless combat can be preferable when you want things to be unknown. I had an instance where my players were ambushed at night. Their campsite was clearly mapped, but the players had reason to move away from the fire they had built and their visibility into the woods to engage people. When they did leave that area, I did not provide a map. This solidified the risk they were taking by moving into the dark when they themselves do not have dark vision or low light vision. I think everyone was a human at the time. So they were getting attacked and it was mostly unknown to them who their assailants were. You know, I knew before that you there was times that you found a reason to use matless combat in real life games and I thought you were a crazy person. I think this is wonderful. You're starting to change my mind here. This is a really good reason to do it. And then if you do have the one guy who's dark vision, I use a GM fail a lot of times sort of working with people's sight and vision and encounters this is a great way to do that without sort of messing around with papers covering the board at certain angles and telling people certain people well you can see this but he can't that's a really cool way to do that thank you caleb i think this is the first legitimate compliment you've ever given me let's move on to sort of a let's zoom out a little bit more into encounter design specifically we're going to talk to the gms here how are you making your encounters with a matless combat one of the first tips i'd give is that you want to have a few big encounters more than you want to have like a host of small encounters. Having the players fight goblins 10 separate times on their way through the cave might be good for a game that uses a map and people who really enjoy combat, but online it gets super stale super quick because there's not as much other interesting aspects to keep the encounters fun. If you're going to have a dungeon with a bunch of small encounters, you have to work extra hard to spice up those encounters with gimmicks. I would always recommend that you do that, but especially with matless combat, you're going to bore your players real quick if it's just another group of goblins without any sort of thing to make it interesting. They'll much more remember three distinct interesting encounters. And I like that rule even outside of Atlas Combat. Pathfinder is a game that is kind of designed with multiple many combats per day and exhausting your resources. So that kind of collides with that idea that you kind of have to work a little harder with your encounter design to effectively challenge your players. Oh, hey, didn't see you there. My friend Christian and I were just playing some role-playing games. Hey, Caleb, do you think these guys would be interested in joining us? You know, I bet they would. I mean, if they listen to Pathfinder Academy, they gotta be cool, right? If role-playing games are your thing, why don't you guys check out our other podcast, Trailblazers? Trailblazers is an actual play podcast where you can see many of the concepts addressed in this show come to life. Season 2 of Trailblazers has been great so far, and I especially like that you can get into it without any prior knowledge of Season 1. It's definitely a fun adventure, especially if you like mysteries and a dash of cyberpunk with your fantasy. If high fantasy is more your style, then consider giving Season 1 a listen. You can find Trailblazers on iTunes. We've got a bunch of other ways to listen as well, so go to our site tblazer.net for a complete list of the ways that you can listen. So go ahead, grab some dice, and join us. All right, Christian, you come across an obviously important character to the plot. What do you do? I immediately shoot him in the face. Ugh, Christian. 
So the second thing I talk about is related is about gimmicks, the things that you can spice up your encounter with. Every encounter, like we're saying, should have more than enemies to make it interesting. But with a map, it's easier to add those interesting environmental nuances such as difficult terrain, elevation, light level. It's really an endless list of what Pathfinder provides to make encounters interesting. But without a map, you need a few big things instead of many small things to spice up that encounter. So to give you an example, I'm going to go through a dungeon I made for Trailblazer Season 2. This is spoilers for Chapter 2. So jump to around the 19 minute mark if you want to avoid the spoilers. So one encounter I had for you guys where there was two TNX hiding in dark corners of the room and there was a lamp in the middle of the room used to spot them. That's the encounter. Simple, easy to understand, something you can interact with. You're asking where are the TNX? I don't know. They're, they're in the dark. You use the spotlight. I hear him. Make a perception check. You think he's over there. You put your spotlight to him. I didn't say you have, you think he's in the 130 degrees of your compass. It's simple enough to say you think he's over there. I use the spotlight. I spot him. Now my player goes, I attack the TNX that I can see. It's that simple now. How many radians away from me is he? <laughs> Another example is there was a room of plants where the objective was to get to the other side of the room or they could kill all monsters. Either way, I mean, that's always an option, I guess, for my players. How can it not be? I know my players, Christian. And there was Mind Slayer mold in there that tried to dominate you. It was cool because that one monster had a couple different effects. It could, if it dominated a person, now you have a person as an encounter. Otherwise, it's just the plant sitting there. So there's two different ways to sort of can feature it. They're trying to get across. Now they're dealing with their ally attacking them. But it's simple to explain the territories. Narrow hallway, full of difficult terrain, makes it hard to go across quickly. Things are shooting at you. Another room was an elevator. It had cranks for each of the players. They would turn the cranks to get up to bring the elevator up and enemies would attack them. So sometimes people would stop turning the cranks to attack the enemies. But that would mean the elevator would sort of list and turn and it could drop you into this bottom pit set of, of oil that could be set on fire. I had enemies that were roiling oils. So the encounter was simple. You had to make a decision to either turn the crank fight the enemy. What was difficult about the terrain? Nothing. The interesting thing about the terrain was if you didn't keep uh, turning the cranks, it would eventually slide off. And that the enemies themselves had the sort of, they were sort of binary, either attacking you or if you activate their one special ability, which was you can light them on fire and things get worse for you. They explode, I think it was. I would argue that this encounter probably would have been better on a mat. Even trying to describe this now, Caleb stopped two times and said, no, that's too complicated. <laughs> when you were playing with it, did it seem get complicated? No, but there were once or twice where the elevator list in a direction that I didn't expect because I didn't remember where everyone's positionings were that's relevant point. to the crank. No, I'm glad I'm glad you said that. That's great. This is why we have the two different perspectives. So that one was a little too... Okay, I understand that. Yeah, because you're listing a certain direction. Great point. Because I'm having to tell you... Now I'm having to say, now it's listing to the northwest. You're right. That's absolutely correct for once. <laughs> Another one I had where an encounter started because a lurker above dropped on sort of encompassed a player and then a gibbering mouther came in we've talked about the gibbering mouther and i think the first beast jerry it has like nine different free actions it can do so it's a good enemy to sort of keep people busy but the things it does were very simple easy to understand you're blinded it did acid damage to you you're confused you see how these things are small simple encounters it's not you're in a room full of a uh, nine different types of terrain 10 goblins come at you from each side four of them are behind cover 
No, they're simple. Here he is. This is where you can easily spot them, even if the environment is situational, like the Tianak. When you can see them is when you can attack them, so you don't have to worry about it. Sometimes when you're going through a dungeon, you will have rooms that aren't actual fights, but rather just puzzles, and there are pieces of the environment you need to put together or interact with in order to proceed. This is mostly unaffected. You don't really need a mat for this. You just need clear indicators of the things they can interact with. They're mostly in the imagination sphere in the first place. If you get the puzzle wrong, something bad happens get the puzzle right, you leave the room, or you proceed, you get the item, whatever it might be. The exception here, of course, is puzzles that will involve monsters at the same time. Which isn't impossible to do. You can have the puzzle where you have to lure the gelatinous cube into the machine that runs on gelatinous cubes and all that. But there's many puzzles that are sort of really require a map to do. When preparing encounters that you know will be taking place in matless combat, I always take care to accurately describe the area combat is taking place in and the distance of the combatants. You, you want to make sure you're always consistent with the wording you're using mm-hmm. and the way you describe things. So when I describe matless combat, I try to describe things in order of distance from the players. So I will start describing things that are closest to them, then further away, then further away, or vice versa. Uh, Whichever way you typically do it, though, you should stay consistent. That's a really great tip. I wish I had heard that tip before I did Trailblazers. I don't think I ever really thought of that one. That's smart. When describing things distance, try to keep a common vocabulary between them, such as adjacent, adjacent meaning within five feet, near them, which means they're within 30 feet, typically within a move action of the players, Mm -hmm. or they're distant. It will take something like a double move action to get to this person. Christian, fantastic tips I have not used and am going to use in the future. That's awesome. I know I know a few things. Why am I not as smart as you? And why <laughs> and why do I have such problems with jealousy? <laughs> Who has my podcast host been replaced with? <laughs> Make sure that you describe everything. You should have a list or a description pre-written or prepared because if you miss something, your players don't have any idea it exists at all. It can't be like you, you forgot to describe this thing on the map and they'll be like, hey, what's this uh, blocky chair looking thing? And you're like, oh, sorry, I forgot. That's the Iron Maiden. I should have mentioned that. Or if you remember in the middle of counter, oh, by the way, there's, there's a chandelier above you. Well, now you've pointed out something in the middle of combat. All the players are going to fixate on it. There's a chandelier. Well, how big is a chandelier? Could it support my weight? Uh, no, you don't have is to it use lit? it. It's just there. If you want to, you don't, you're not required to use it. Yes, it can support your weight. Is it lit with fire or with like magic? About to be lit with your blood. (laughs) And you don't have to explain everything in detail right away. For example, first episode of Trailblazers is train combat. It happens in the first 10 minutes of the game. So I don't feel about like I'm spoiling you here. And I said a train pulled up next to theirs. That's all the information I need to give them when I was laying out the encounter design for them to interact with. Then when one person said, I want to try to jump across that gap, how far is it? Then I tell them, okay, it's 30 feet between you. I didn't need to give that feet between everything before battle started. Just as it comes up, when they want to do something, that's when you kind of talked about earlier. That's when you say, okay, here's here if you can or can't do it, here's why. Otherwise, you're going to spend the first 40 minutes of an encounter explaining every little thing that you're going to have to re-describe anyway, because people are going to forget. Let the players decide what is important and relevant information to them. My character was an acrobat, had acrobatics. Jumping was an option for him, so I'm the one that took the initiative to ask about the distance to jump. Sometimes, if you don't have players that jump around, they won't ask that question. You won't need to say it. So, let's go over a few things that are probably good to avoid because they're not going to translate well into mapless combat. 
So the first one I would like to bring up is difficult terrain. Typically, you are just stating whether a player can reach a destination or not. The specific distances will just clog down the game. I think you typically could say, this is in your way, so you can't reach it with a single move action, instead of, fines are in your way, so that's difficult terrain, so it's actually going to cost you 40 feet of movement, and you only have 30 feet of movement. What's wrong with just saying you can't reach it in a single move action? And then usually I'll say stuff like, you can get there, but it'll take you a full turn. But that thing you just said earlier, uh, near, far, and all that stuff, helps with that too yes but i think this what you're talking about is more like don't have like say spotty difficult terrain mm-hmm. for instance like oh in between you and this combatant there's like you know two patches of debris so that's going to be two ten feet of movement how much movement speed do you-, you don't want to do the calculation just say it'll take decide whether it will take them a move action or two move actions to get wherever they need to go and you can just say there's stuff in the way whatever that stuff is you can explain it you don't have to explain it. you're the gm you can be like there's stuff don't question it <laughs> I want you to imagine this encounter is just lines, straight lines, (laughs) a plane of existence of black and white, of just flat planes everywhere. There's stuff and there's things, okay? In Matless Combat, I try not to go overboard with line and cone type effects. When you use, say, a line spell or a cone spell or effect, you're assuming multiple people's positions in relevance to each other. And from a player perspective, it can feel kind of arbitrary that the GM's just like, ooh, guess what, guys? You're all just three of you happen to be standing in a line based on what you said. And, you know, you don't know where you are actually standing in relation to each other. Typically, when you are moving, you're giving your movement in relation to the enemy you want to reach or the location Mm -hmm. on the map you want to reach. Not saying, well, I'm specifically moving in such a way that I'm not next to Timmy over here. Right. Why'd you pick Timmy? You've never called him Timmy. It was Tim the entire game, Payne. I I just picked a random name. I wasn't even thinking of Tim. How dare you? (laughs) I get where you're coming from. A lot of it does make sense, but I'm not sure I completely agree with you. I think I'm not going to just take away... If I'm using a black dragon and it happens to have a line breath attack or I'm using a regular dragon and it has a cone breath attack, I still want to be able to use that versus my players. I think a dragon's breath weapon is something that's very well known and something that's so, you know, egregious that the player should assume that that's going to be a factor. And I wouldn't argue as a player that I'm not in range of the dragon's fire breath, whereas if a random person decides to cast burning hands... And the GM decides that, like, three of us are in range, I'd be like, "Mm, okay, I guess. I don't know. I mean, my players will be asking, hey, I've got burning hands. Can I hit multiple? I'm like, yeah, you can move aside. If you use your move action, you can actually get in an area where you can hit three of them. Why can't the enemies do that against you? Why does that feel like I'm doing something bad against you? It's dependent on the specific scenario. A lot of times the positioning of everyone will be specific enough that I think it'll be okay. I'm just saying it's something not to go overboard on because you don't want people constantly now not just keeping themselves and their positioning and the enemy's positioning in mind. But now suddenly they have to, this whole other thing they have to consider, am I standing in a line with my allies? Am I standing close enough to my allies that we're going to hit by AoEs or cones? And this is something that when you're playing on a mat, you want them to be thinking about that strategy. But you're right, it's just one thing too many for the players to keep track of in matless combat. It's something to, to think about and mull that one over. I try to avoid things like heavy dependence on reach weapons and attack of opportunity focused enemies. These are both things that are powered by specific distance and positioning, and it's going to just prompt the players to ask every turn, is this going to evoke an attack of opportunity or not? And that one's a little difficult, I think, because if you have a large creature, it automatically, most large creatures should say, have reach now. Right. 
and you can't just not have large and, and above creatures in your game. And it's not so, it's not something that I think should be avoided entirely. But don't make like an encounter where Designed an enemy specifically has... around that. There's a difference right. between including it and making it the main mechanic. Like so you got to fight the boss who has combat patrol in the lunge feet and has like a twenty foot reach. And all this stuff we're saying, some of the stuff you can make part of your combat but usually trade off as it's the only part of your combat you make the reach lunge guy and you start the encounter everyone's around him now figure out how to hurt him without getting destroyed okay but now that's the only thing that's happening because it's a lot to keep track of we're not saying throw away all these things like difficult terrain stuff because they're the worst mechanics ever existing it's because it's just a lot to keep track of in your head we're trying not to fatigue our players and their ability to remember everything in an encounter if it's not essential, drop it in favor of making other parts more interesting. I did this with a monster who had different parts of it that you could target to disable certain abilities it had, only focusing on him and not the environment. And the monster was interesting enough that the field of battle, I left blank. If I had a mat, I would have added other stuff because we were only in the imagination sphere. I, I focused on that monster. And there's other combat encounters where the environment was the main player so that the monsters were less interesting. That's a really good point. And I really like it. And this is where it becomes a difficult balancing act because if you had this reach weapon focused enemy and he was the whole encounter, that that is a good thing to do, but you don't want to overdo it. If you were using something like line or cone effects, if it's an enemy that constantly does that and it's the only thing they do, I think that becomes easier to implement because your players will know that it's happening and now they're prepared for that with that combat. I just think these are difficult things to just smatter into combats as they yep. are, which is something that's easy to do on a map. Yeah. And there's some things that you just can't do. I can't have a chessboard encounter. That's sort of a really fun one that kind of builds itself. I think almost every GM has a time in their life when they make a chessboard encounter. It's sort of, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it's very, very difficult to do that sort of thing. In Imagination Sphere, you're better off doing something else designed for headspace rather than physical space. Like Battleship. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. My next encounter is going to be a battleship <laughs> encounter. Oh, I want to build this now. Oh, that's great. <laughs> E12. <laughs> you sunk my Inquisitor. <laughs> well, those are some tips, some ideas, some things to keep in mind. It's both a player and a GM when you're doing matless combat. I hope they helped you out. In the end, I do enjoy a combat with a map better, but I find myself constantly in the scenario where matless combat is what I have to do. And now, Christian, you actually sort of changed my mind a little bit that even with a map in real life, there are some reasons you might want to transition to matless combat. What if all the players' positionings are ultimately irrelevant because they're in some sort of void, non-Euclidean space? I can't make a non-Euclidean map. I exist <laughs> in the third dimension. Christian, that's just because you're not trying hard enough. <laughs> Your encounter takes place in Blender. <laughs> Download some 3D rendering software and make a new encounter for your players. Yes, but does the BBEG have a skeleton? That's what I need to know. <laughs> have you rigged it yet? Can he move? <laughs> Thank you all for staying for extra credit. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening.
Hey, Brian, you want to play role-playing games tonight? I can't. My body's trapped in this strange membrane. Wow. Should I take you to a doctor? Nah, it feels really good. Just put my earbuds in. No, that's just wrong. But here at Tales from the Lich, we're all right. When you can't play, listen. TalesFromTheLich.com <sighs> That's just wrong.